0: I want to show you this picture, um, and it's the picture for the series, but um, how many people feel like that is a perfect description of our world right now? Anyone? Just sitting right there on the edge and the ledge, and at any moment could just tumble and fall. And right now, you talk to psychologists and medical professionals, and they say, well, there's this increase in anxiety and increase in depression that they're seeing from people. And and here's the thing. It's not this debilitating depression and anxiety. It's just, I think you could describe it as a low-level hum. It's just right under the surface of everyone's life, and there is this uneasiness. A lot of it has to do with this virus in this pandemic, of uncertainty, not knowing. And I I can tell you as church leaders, it's been so difficult because we're making decisions week by week. Um, A a church that loves to plan out and look at the next year has had to go from looking at a year in advance to looking at what happens next week, six days from Monday. And it, it, it is a sense of uneasiness that comes with that, with the political tension right now, and and as we move towards November, it will continue to increase with the racial tensions, the violence, the protests, the police um, violence that we're seeing, and and all that's the the chaos. It, It feels like this picture represents our world right now so, so well. And like I said, the anxiety is not this just overwhelming sense of I can't function, but it's this sense of I'm not sure what's really wrong, I can't really put my finger on it, but things don't feel right. And so we start this series today in the book of Philippians, Finding Joy in an Anxious World. And, and the, the whole point of this series is this idea from Philippians, and, and Paul kind of ends the book um, with this verse in chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And I, I wonder if it's possible to rejoice always. What about when our world is on a tipping point, and it's just hanging out on the ledge, and it seems that any moment, is it possible in those times to rejoice? What, what about when the diagnosis comes, and you get the news that you were hoping you would never get, or when the divorce is finalized, and what you thought was going to last forever is now over? Or when the coffin closes, the casket closes, and all that you had to rejoice around in your life seems like it has disappeared, it's dissipated, and it's no more. How do you rejoice? And there's this word that's going to keep showing up time and time again in the book of Philippians. Actually, it shows up 19 times, and it's the word kara. And kara actually means joy, but within the root of the word kara, we get the word joy and rejoice and gladness. Nineteen times this word is going to show up through four short chapters in the book of Philippians, that you should have joy, that you should rejoice, that you should be glad, and and you should do it always. And what is it that gives Paul the ability to speak these words to us? What is it that allows Paul to say, you should rejoice always, you should be glad, you should have joy? What qualifies him? And I think what's so fascinating, and I never really realized this because I've always heard Philippians is this prison epistle. It's a letter that Paul writes from prison. But, but let me help you understand a little bit more in context what's going on. Paul is in Rome when he writes this letter. And not only is he in Rome, but he is in prison, sort of. Paul is in prison in a house that he's had to rent. And he's under guard and not allowed to leave his house. And there is a guard watching over him, making sure that he's not speaking about Jesus outside of the house. So, what's our favorite word from 2020? Quarantined. (laughs) Paul is quarantined. Paul is under house arrest, writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and he keeps talking about joy. And the reason that he's there in Rome at this time is because he's going to stand trial and plead his case before Caesar, and he knows that if it doesn't go well, it will cost him his life. And so Paul is writing this letter. And so I want to kind of intro just a little bit into this series, and then I want to spend just a few moments um, in the first chapter with you this morning. But I want to talk about some things that tend to steal your joy. Because before we can talk about how you have joy in the midst of an anxious world, it's important that we talk about the joy stealers that are all around us. And the first one is our circumstances. It's the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Right now we have some pretty crazy circumstances in our world. We're we're stuck, and, and for a long time we've been stuck at home. Those are some crazy circumstances. For for some of you, you were furloughed or laid off. Those are some crazy circumstances. For some of you, you were sick or you had a loved one who was sick and you couldn't go visit them in the hospital. Some of you have said goodbye to loved ones through a window because you couldn't go into a house or to a hospital. Crazy times. Some of you have, have gone through the the joy of becoming a homeschool parent i say that with great joy <laughs> of becoming a homeschool parent something at the beginning of the last year you never intended there's a reason that we have teachers so i don't have to be one uh, and I don't, I don't know if i've told you that my wife and i had had a great homeschooling thing going so back at the end of last year when we were homeschooling our kids, my wife was basically in charge of Monday through Thursday. And so she had Monday through Thursday. And I had Fridays, which is my day off. And so I was in charge on Fridays. And so Thursday they would work hard, work hard, work hard, all the way through the week, first four days of the week. And then they would get to Friday. And they had an extended recess (laughs) after my patience wore out about 15 minutes into the school day. So so Friday effectively became their day off, and my wife and I, um, yeah, we'll we'll talk. We're in counseling for that right now, and I, I think a couple more years, and I'll be out of the doghouse. But but circumstances can can have a huge impact on our life. But but as I said earlier, Paul has so much reason to write this in Second Corinthians. He's describing a little bit of his life, and he says, "Are they servants of Christ?" I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once pelted with stones, three times shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and I have toiled and I have gone, often gone without sleep. And I have known hunger and thirst and often have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Talk about circumstances. And this is Paul, and just a chapter later, he's going to say these three times. I beg God, I had this thorn in the flesh, and I beg God to take it away. And three times he just said, my grace is sufficient for you. And not to mention that he's writing this letter under quarantine, under house arrest. Not, not able to leave his home. And so circumstances have a huge impact on our life. The second thing is people. Anyone have people in their life that tend to steal joy? Like anytime they walk in the room, it feels like they just take the air out of the room where there are difficult people to deal with. Maybe it's in your work. Maybe it's in your home. But it's difficult to deal with people. I think all of us can say, yeah, I have a few of those in my life. Paul um, is, as I said, going um, to Rome to face Caesar. And eventually, it's going to be Nero Caesar who beheads Paul. There are people problems. The third is comparison, that we have a tendency to compare our life to everyone else's, or at least compare what we have with what we think we should have, how we think our life should turn out, how we thought we would envision it and how it should go, and we compare. Right, Right now, we have social media that helps us do that really well, right? Because you see everyone's highlight reels. You, you see the best of everyone's life. You you see the smiling picture with the kids. You don't get to see Monday morning getting ready for school when none of the kids will get out of bed, and when parents are angry and upset and frustrated. Not me personally, but other parents. <laughs> and then third, and and all of these are outside, except for this fourth one, and this is an inside job, and it's worry. We have a tendency to worry. And there's nothing in our life like worry that takes away, that steals our joy. And so all of us, I think, at times deal with circumstances, with people, with comparison and worry. And I wonder where these show up in your life, Um. Hey, Garrett, can I borrow you for a second? Can you come help me? You don't have to say anything. Come on. You, you can leave your mask off for this. I, I think it'll be okay. Just come stand. Stand right up here. You ever have any worry, anxiety? Sometimes. Sometimes? Okay, so here's, here's some worry for you and some anxiety. And like most of us, we have worry and anxiety. And and we carry it around with us. And what we like to do, let me me rephrase that, what we love to do is take the things that we're anxious about, the things that we worry about, and place them on other people. You're going to have to figure out a way to hold these. Because we want to transition our anxiety and our worry to other people. Because anxiety breeds anxiety. Have you ever noticed or had a a person in your life that, that is constantly bringing their anxiety and their fears And their worries on you. And like at some point, it gets pretty overwhelming. And at some point, you can't really handle it anymore. At some point, at some point, at some point, you start to drop the ball. Here, you can put them back. And if you drop some, it's okay. That's, that's great. Thank you, man. See, anxiety breeds anxiety. And we like to place our anxiety on other people. And my guess is you know people who just walk around with their anxiety, and it's just like, here, you, you take it. I was watching Fox News. I was watching CNN. I was on Facebook. This this came up or this happened to me. And and here, you've got to take it. Anxiety breeds anxiety. And one of the biggest problems I think we face in church world today is the fact that anxiety breeds anxiety. And we bring our anxieties in here and we start spreading them. And listen, there are other churches where that anxiety can kill the momentum of a church. Just bring it to a halt and suck the air out of the room because people constantly want to cast their anxiety onto other people. So my question is, how do these four joy stealers show up in your life? Comparison. People. Um, what, what was the first? Circumstances. That one. Forgot the first one. Circumstances and worry. How do they show up in your life? H- how do you see them constantly? And then, is it possible to defeat them? So, as Paul says in Philippians 4:4, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Is it possible to live a life like that? Because it sounds great in theory, right? That sounds great in theory, but this is the real world, and we have real problems and real people that we deal with and crazy out-of-control circumstances that we must manage. So how do we find great joy? So Paul, as I said, is writing this letter. This is a letter that he is writing from himself under house arrest to a church in Philippi. And he's talking to them and trying to encourage them to keep their faith. And through keeping their faith that joy would abound in their life. And so over the next several weeks, here's what I want to do. Is I want to look at what it takes to cultivate that joy in our life what what does it take to cultivate that joy because my my assumption is if we can begin to cultivate that heart of joy of rejoicing of gladness, the anxiety and depression depression will be minimized now l- listen if if there are psychological problems, if there are um, that 's not to say just if you'll learn to be happy and and experience joy, all of that will go away, right? It's not to to minimize any of those things. But it is to say that that low-level underlying kind of hum from your life right now that you can't really put your finger on, I believe that would start to diminish as we live life in the joy and the grace of Jesus. Because I think that's what Paul tells us. And so each week, I want to work on a a word, a a word, a vocabulary word we want to add to our vocabulary. And and these aren't going to be new words to you. You're you're going to know all of these words. Um, But I want them to be added to our vocabulary as followers of Jesus that we talk about and focus our mind on. Because What Paul's ultimately going to say, how how do you cultivate that? It begins with your mind. He he starts with your mind. And in 15 different times in the book, just almost as many as he talks about joy. He talks about how closely the mind is related to that joy. Think on these things. Remember these things. Let your mind be focused on them. Because Paul believes if you can get your mind around it, it will begin to become more evident in your life. And so he talks about how important our mind is in this process cultivating a spirit of joy. And so this week, the word we're going to look at is gratitude. What does it look like to develop a spirit of gratitude in our life? And what does Paul have to be thankful for in his life? I mean, again, I keep going back to the scenario. He's writing this from a house under house arrest in a a city that he's so unfamiliar with and doesn't have the resources around him. And so, first, um, he says to the Philippians, I have you in my mind. That you are in, you are on my mind. Um, In verse... of chapter 1, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. That that what brings him joy is this partnership. That there's this church that's helping him right now financially. This church who's praying for him. This church who's sharing their life with him. This church that's risking their lives to get him what he needs to survive and continue on with his purpose. There is this partnership that he finds great great joy in isn't it amazing how much joy it brought to you this morning to see other people right go go back and, and for those of you online you you still get this go back for for you in the room go back 6 months and those first sundays where everything was completely online there were 10 people Right here in this room, and that was it. And everyone else was online. And and it's great to put in the comments, hey, we're here, we're glad to see or to to hear you. But isn't it something else to see someone face to face? And to realize, hey, we're in this together. No matter how difficult the times are, we're together. I, I like to run. And and one of the things I find really refreshing is is when I go run early in the park in the morning is I will pass people who are running. And and the thing is, it doesn't matter how fast they're going or how slow they're going or if they're walking and running or if they're running by me so fast I can barely see them. Um, What's really cool is there's a sense of camaraderie that we're all doing this same thing trying to get better. And I'm guessing you have aspects of your life where it really helps to have other people by your side. For those of you who have walked walked through a really difficult um, loss, isn't it amazing to have someone else who has gone through a really difficult loss to come alongside of you and say, I know what you're going through. Does it make everything better and go away? But no, but it brings you joy to know there's someone else who feels your pain and has been there. And I think that's why the most beautiful people um, ministering to divorced people are the people who have been through divorce. And, and the people who are the most beautiful ministries ministering to people who have lost children are people who have lost children. There's this commonality, there's this connection. And it doesn't heal the wound But there's a partnership that we're in this together. And Paul points back and he says, we have this partnership in the gospel. And because of that, you're on my mind. I'm thinking about you because I know we're doing this together. What's crazy about this word partnership is it's actually the Greek word koinonia. Have you ever heard the Greek word koinonia before? Um, in the Greek, it means fellowship. In English, it's translated fried chicken. We sit down and we eat together and we call it fellowship. You know, you got your chicken and your drumstick. But it means fellowship and it's so much bigger, so much broader than just eating together. It, it's living the gospel out together. It's praying together. It's worshiping together. It's just getting together and see people. No no matter how it has to happen, but to see someone else's face and to realize, like, we're in this together. The, The beauty of the communion we're fixing to take in just a few moments is that there is this commonality? Yes, we remember Christ, but yes, we also remember the person sitting right next to you in this commonality that we share because of Christ, that we're in this together. In this bread that we take, in this cup that we drink, It means the same and it carries the same value to every single person, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of upbringing, regardless of economic stability, regardless of all the other circumstances. This table is a common table where all of us share as one, because we are partners in this. We're all in this together. Secondly, um, Paul would say, I have you on my heart. My mind is focused on you, but my heart is as well. He says, is it right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart? And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this word, sharing God's grace, I love the way some other translations, they call it partakers. Partakers in God's grace. we, We have partners and we have partakers. And the beauty of Christ is they join together. These partners and partakers find hope in God's grace that we share this moment together. And Paul channeled. Paul's love is not channeled through Christ, right, to the church, but rather Christ's love is channeled through Paul to the people. The, The hope of the gospel is that it takes root deep deep in your heart and soul and then it flows out of your life in fruit to everyone that surrounds you. Right, and, and that's what he's gonna pray in just a moment, that that fruit would come out. As you love Christ more and more and you fall more and more in love with Him that it transforms your mind, it transforms your heart So that the fruit that flows out is evidence of Christ's love to all. That it's evidence of Christ's love to all. And it comes through the form of concern and forgiveness and generosity. That we continue to see God's work in this world through His people. And third, I have you in my prayers It's not just his mind, it's not just his heart, but it's what he's praying earnestly and begging and pleading God for. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I always read that, and I just kind of read over this word, that your love, or that you would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. But he says, I want your love to grow in knowledge and depth of insight not just simply this feeling, not just this sentimental, I love you, but a deep, sincere choice to love people. And as we said, one of the, the places that gets really difficult is one of the biggest things that can steal our joy is people. And there are some people that are more difficult to love than others. That There are some people that require a little bit extra grace that that takes some work for us to love. And that's where he says he wants that love to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That we begin to understand what it is to love someone. And sometimes loving someone means having a difficult conversation with them. And saying, "Do do you realize that you are chronically anxious and you're walking around all the time just saying, here, here. Sometimes it means having the conversation saying, do you, do you realize that you always play the victim card? That, that it's always someone else's fault? That, that where you find yourself I think sometimes that's what it looks like for love to abound more and more in dole- knowledge and depth of insight. It doesn't mean just we turn the cheek and we're just, oh, we're just going to love. And, but it's that we're partners and partakers. And because we love them, we're going to have conversation with them. But we're going to do it in a loving, grace filled way. And it's not easy. It's really difficult because we we make the assumption that to love them would mean we never hurt their feelings. We don't want them to feel bad. But at times, loving them means we have the difficult conversation. That's not easy. But what Paul says is on the other side, if, if we'll keep people on our mind and on our heart and in our prayers that there is this fruit that's going to start to come out of their life. But not just their life, our life as well. Because people are going to start to see Christ's love through our life, channeled, funneled through us, so that what comes out? See, I think the, the deepest Christian joy we can experience is when we get to sit down with someone that we are partakers and partners with and pray with them or for them. One of the greatest things, and I think we're so bad at times at, at this in church, hey, I'll be praying for you. I said it this morning to someone. I don't, I don't remember exactly. Hey, I'll be praying for you. And, and that's, that's our tendency rather than to stop and just say, hey, can I pray for you right now? I mean, it's one thing to say, I'll be praying for you. It's entirely different to put your arm around someone. Of course, it's COVID, you can't do that from six feet away. But it's entirely different to actually pray for someone right there in that moment. What if our churches looked more like that? Instead of happy hallways with waves, how are you doing, I'm great, You know, I've had a rough week, and you see little pockets of two and three and four people just throughout the foyer, just gathered and praying for one another, just sharing as partakers and partners in God's grace. What kind of difference would it make? See, see, Paul has two things in particular he's very gracious and thankful for. One is Christ's work in His life, what Jesus has done for Him. But two is the people that are partners and partakers of that grace with Him, who are alongside Him. And as He feels so isolated and alone in quarantine, what He's thinking about is these people that are partners and partakers, sharing the grace of God together. See, in just a few moments, we're going to gather around the table. We're going to gather around this table as partners and partakers, experiencing the beauty and the grace of Jesus together. And our tendency so often as we take communion is to say, look at what God has done for me. And I think the beauty of the gospel story is look at what Christ has done for us. Because so many times we miss, and God so loved me that He gave His only Son. But it was rather God so loved the world. And that God is bringing this new humanity, this new body, this new entity, He calls the church together, to share as partners and partakers of God's grace. Father, we thank you that we get to walk alongside others who are sharing this journey with us, who are on this road with us. Father, we're so grateful that we have other people to do life with, to pray with, to share with, But, Father, we're also thankful for what You've done that makes that possible. That, Father, through Your grace and through Your mercy, through Your goodness, we who were sinful, we who were enemies of God, have been brought near to the throne of grace. Father, we thank You so much for Your goodness. And, Father, as we share this moment, as we share this bread and as we share this cup, Father, we find this connection with one another, that we are now the family of God, children with divine purpose, divine presence in our life. We thank You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.